I, I haven't done enough, therefore I am not enough. <laughs> I've done wrong, therefore I am wrong. Mm. And, and these balances between, yes, have ambition and drive and goals and aspiration, but be whole and complete and, and just over the moon, ecstatic with the way things are. Find enough in each and every step and then, and then you can truly, truly fly. Hello and welcome to the Mind Detox podcast. Here, we're going to discover new ways to think, feel and heal while exploring our spiritual side. I'm your host, Sandy Newbigging, also known as the Mind Detox Monk, because well, I'm a monk and meditation teacher, and for over 15 years, I've also been working with people from around the world using a method that I accidentally created called Mind Detox. This podcast includes highlights from my online club and academy meetings, expert interviews, guided meditations, and more. All so that you can cure the cause and master peace. For today's episode, I share a chit chat with Arjuna, meditation teacher and author. I ask him about his new book, Chasing More, Finding Enough. How being is the greatest foundation for everything we do. He shares his theory on what he calls the donut life and what he considers to be the greatest problem we face, especially those walking any spiritual path. Stay tuned to learn why he believes calm is our superpower. So hello and welcome to this chit chat uh, special uh, episode and today I'm very delighted to have a, a long-term good friend of mine with us uh, called Arjuna. Hello Arjuna. Hello, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Uh, our pleasure. Uh, you are a monk, a meditation teacher, a coach, uh, you work with military and all that sort of cool stuff. Yeah. And you're also a two-time author now as well. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, with a lot of help from you. So, guys, I'm so excited to introduce you to Arjuna. When did we meet? Do you remember when we met? I remember. I, I, I remember. Because I've shared the story a few times. Because <laughs> you were uh, teaching a meditation course uh, with the Bright Path. Um, and I was uh, just learning at that point. I think, I think you were the course I resat. You were the mm. first one I did after. Um, so, like, you know, you can resit that. And uh, I remember being so angry at you because you said that peace was possible and easy. And at that point, it did not feel possible for me and it did not feel easy. And yeah. so internally, I was a little bit annoyed with you that day. <laughs> but annoyingly, you had this look in your eye that I you were talking from a living experience and that's that's uh, such an important thing right yeah oh, it's the, well it's the only thing you can't you can't talk from well people do but it's empty isn't it absolutely so thank you for helping me on my path although later on we're going to talk about why there is no path <laughs> thank you thank you so um, would you tell us a little bit uh, about how you ended up being a uh, monk meditation teacher coach involved in military uh, and writing books and stuff. How, how did you get here? Why did you get here, more importantly? Well, I came to a point where I realized that really the, the most important thing to me was 
was probably the sense of contentment, peace, satisfaction, wholeness, a lack of um, drama, a lack of self-criticism and constant self-management, um, freedom from my mind. And, and uh, essentially I just kept following the, the breadcrumbs and it led me to, to monkdom. <laughs> Monkdom. I love that. Monkdom. <laughs> Listen, you're almost touching upon it, but in the book, you talk about uh, the donut life. Mm. Um, and your story kind of links with the donut, your theory of the donut life. What What is the donut life? <laughs> well, well, my story is that I, I had everything. I had a beautiful house by a lake um, in New Zealand, three, three sets of mountains on either side of the lake. Um, I could snowboard, I could kayak, I could do all the things that I loved and, and I had my life perfectly set up. I had my tick list ticked and none of it equaled fulfillment. None of it made me satisfied in and of itself. They were all pleasant but not deeply, um, it didn't give me the sense of what I was truly looking for. And it was so confusing. And, and, and I decided that was the, the best analogy was a, a donut. You know, I had glossy and colorful and amazing outside, but really a, a lack of connection with anything internal, anything uh, permanent. So, yeah, it, the equation, I will be happy when I have everything on my tech list, it just wasn't working. So, uh, yeah, the donut life is a sense of emptiness, even though you may have everything or mostly everything. Yeah, it's like empty in, in the inside, despite all this stuff around the edges. Yep, yeah. yeah. Wow. And that's, that's the very word I use when I learned um, ascension was I, I want a deeper sense of connection. I want a connection with that, that me that I know is in there, but I just don't know how to access. Hmm. And, and in the book, you talk about the greatest problem. I, I imagine what you're talking about right now uh, links with what you're saying. So what, what, in your opinion, is the greatest problem? Well, I think it's this, this idea, this concept that we, we've picked up that we believe we need to choose. Uh, either have a practical life or a spiritual life. And, and I talk to so many of these military guys and athletes and they Ambition is seen to be the direct opposite of contentment. Contentment is seen to be complacency. And so it's, it's like, pick one. Who, who wants to be complacent and lazy and just stare at their navel all day in some cave? Nobody. <laughs> well, very few. Um, but, but the reality is, is, as you guys know, or you're rapidly finding out, is that a spiritual life, an inner life, a life of peace is the greatest foundation for or any practical ambition. So, yeah, we, we, it's our greatest problem because we, we think it's either or, black or white. Which one do I have to choose? And so it separates us from our greatest power source because most of us go for practicality. So what, 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 are, what, are, what are you saying? Are you saying that you don't have to choose, basically? No, I'm saying, like, like you, you, I'm sure you bang on time and time again to these guys is that calm is our superpower. Peace, presence, being, stillness is the source of all our intuition and creativity and, well, I mean, true drive in a sense of not being driven from a place of, well, I should or I need to, but because I want to, because this, this is something that excites me. 
It's interesting because like, like almost that list that you gave, the like stillness and the, these words, they're often often seen as almost like escaping from life and reality. Yeah, hence the greatest problem. <laughs> we see the, the very thing that's going to inform us and nourish us and, and provide deep satisfaction no matter where, what we're chasing or, or what we're learning or, what, or how we're growing is, the, like, like you said, is the very thing that's seen as irresponsible, it's seen as putting our heads in the sand, is seen as denying um, what's true and real in, in some way. So, so why does spacious and stillness, spaciousness and stillness, why do these things inform us, nurture us? Why? That's a good question. I, I don't know. <laughs> but they <laughs> But they do. Or, they, do. But, they do. You know, because I want to talk to that person who's like, yeah, but uh, why? Why? What is it? Got, what does stillness got to do with informing me of anything? Mm. How does that even work? Uh, at a mechanical level, how can I be informed by being still? That's my yeah. question, really. Yeah. Well, I think we're great doers, and we get so busy doing that we forget, we, we overthink everything, and we get so lost in the past and in the future, we cannot show up to now and meet the need, the precise need of the moment. We can't tune into our intuition and, and really listen. And I think we all know, but we just don't hear. And it's that those quiet moments, those moments of presence and really going beneath the busyness of the mind that allows us to go, oh, okay, I actually know what to do here. It may take some courage to follow that through, but it's a, a case of, well, I, I know what feels right. Um, it, it's that place of freedom from self-criticism and, and self-doubt that slows so many of us down because it, it, that chit-chat, you know, it's not, it's not chit-chat, it's chatter in the mind. Um, it's just a big handbrake from us being able to do um, the things that we want to do, the things that we, uh, we know that we were born to do. You said we know but don't hear. Hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, I think, I think we all have a gut instinct or a, an intuition or, um, you know, like our spiritual teacher so often says that we live through something and then we look back and, you know, oh, I knew that was going to happen. But it's always the, the benefit of hindsight, the safety of hindsight, rather than following through beforehand. Um, I think we, we know and then it just gets jumped on by a bundle of doubt and a bundle of... Um, I mean, Terry Pratchett, if any, any of you guys read him, <laughs> refers to this in one of his books, how the second and third book, uh, thoughts come in and, and smack the, the pure intuition or the pure creativity of the first one around. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's part of the human condition, unfortunately, that we don't trust what we know. I, I find that, you know, when someone comes to me wanting help with figuring out what to do next, whatever the decision might be, it might be about career or a relationship, like my job is not to tell them what to do, obviously, but to help them see what they already know. They already know the answer, but there's something going on that doesn't want them to listen and hear the answer or act upon the answer that they know already. Yeah. So it's yeah. a bit like that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, perfectly. And we want somebody else, an expert, to tell us what the right thing to do <laughs> or the comfortable thing to do. Just, just let me know. Tell me something that means I don't have to make a change. 
um, or, or tell me what to do so I can blame you if it, if it goes wrong. <laughs> well, uh, you just talked about change and, and in the book you talk about how we all crave certainty and stability over all things. Hmm. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, well, it, 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 we do. We, we crave, we want to know. We want to be in a place of um, stability, of security. And unfortunately, we look for it in terms of our relationships or our possessions or our careers or our bodies or our health. And, and all of these things, by their very nature, are change. All of these things shift and move and transform and, and trying to find this elusive certainty. Uh, and something that changes is, is, is an impossibility, yet it, it doesn't stop us from looking. Um, and so we, we just kind of hold on tighter. We, we control and, and grab and um, get possessive about people and things and stuff. And, and yet the true certainty, the only place that doesn't change is, is our sense of presence, our sense of calm, our sense of stillness. And so from that st absolute stability where you are completely present and filled with presence, the change of the world is, is enjoyable. It, it becomes a dance rather than a struggle to make it secure. I think COVID has shown us that incredibly because really what's been taken away from us is our futures, is our certainty that we knew the summer holidays were coming up and all of a sudden, whoop, um, all we were left with was this moment in time. That's all we knew. And yet we weren't used to that. We were used to kind of planning for the future, knowing that Saturday was coming and that's my day off and um, I'm going to go out or go to a, a movie or have a, have a great meal somewhere. And once that's removed, it's like, oh, hang on. <laughs> Do you mean, I mean, this, this is all we can know for certain. And in here, any... Um, hardship any challenge is doable because it's just what you know right here right now suffering begins when we we bring expectation and should and what what's going to happen and so yeah it's it's all about now um and i and i think psychologists have been discovering that well increasingly is it's not not a goal orientation but a process orientation that that means that we you know, can overcome any challenge that we stay motivated, that we keep going is, is not making about the end result, but simply what you can do today, simply what you do consistently each and every moment. Um, and so, yeah, you need a goal, you need a top of a mountain to go to, but it's all about what, what's right here, right now. And, there was uh, another quote from La Tzu in the book that links exactly what you're talking about today, right now. The master does not seek fulfillment, no seeking, no expecting. He is present and can welcome all things. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, when you welcome all things, it, I know you've got a question about surrender, but it's, it's really being open to what is happening right here, right now, but fully eyes open, curious. For when we have an idea of what should be happening, we're, we're kind of rejecting what is and, and trying to create or control what we think we want we need and that's impossible but it doesn't stop us from trying and so and what we're kind of talking about here is one of your chapters is about surrender and control so <laughs> you know these are two topics that we talk about quite a lot in this club 
they're terms that are very familiar to the, to the people that are involved here. Um, I'd love for you to talk a bit about you know these you know this, this surrender and control how they connect how, they, how why are they showing up in the same sentence for you in a chapter, you know please talk about these really important uh, issues of surrender and control. Mm. Yeah, well it, well it's tricky because if you don't have a plan or you don't have a destination, you you wander all over the place. <laughs> you know, just if you don't have have a um, a top of a mountain to aim for, you. You don't go anywhere. And, and that's where, what a lot of Westerners read into Lao, something like Lao Tzu is like, well, what, is, what obviously what he's saying to me is don't do anything, don't aim for anything, don't try hard, don't do, don't do anything. But he's, he's really talking about a different kind of action and an action where you, sure, you have a goal, you have a plan, but then you can be absolutely flexible and fluid with it. Um, there's an old Taoist concept of Wu Wei, which is often translated as not doing or, or non-doing. And, and it is, but it, um, I heard Alan Watts, who's a great scholar, uh, refer to it as non-forcing. So he says, why, uh, why row when you can sail? Why put so much maximum effort, muscle and strength and emotional strain into it where you can just put up a sail? And with a minimal of, of effort and go with, with what wants to happen. Um, when we cut firewood, we don't cut it across the grain. We set it up and we, we find that sweet spot. And with the minimal effort, it, the whole thing pops open. Um, so that's what really they're talking about in Wu Wei. And that's what surrender is, is seeing what, where the grain of the moment is. Hmm. Um, and often that requires patience. It definitely requires requires presence. It requires surrendering your plan to the to the need of this, to the need of um, what what's in front of us. And and, and like in our in, inner intuition, we just can't see it because we're so fixated on what we think should be, on our expectation, on um, on on the idea. So surrender for me is is not giving up. It's not being a doormat. It's really surrendering to the flow of the moment like i said the grain of the moment um, what's critical. been what's been your greatest surrender well i think about having kids <laughs> <laughs> really it's, it's like i have a plan i have an idea and then and they have <laughs> their own thing um now i can shout at them i can out muscle them but that creates a relationship that's not pleasant it's not what I want. Um, and so it's, it's this kind of dance, this interaction of, of knowing, yeah, knowing of, of just showing up and seeing, of abandoning my plan and seeing if we can guide it and move it towards some sort of compromise. <laughs> but it's seeing so, so often what I think is important isn't really. I, I go, oh, this needs to happen. You need to have shoes on. Uh, Actually, it turns out you, you don't really, you, know? you, you don't really need to have clothes on. You don't need to, you know, it's just, it's just we'll go with what is, go with what's easiest. Um, and, and well, that's that to decide then. Next week, everyone show up naked uh, <laughs> and especially leave your shoes at the door and we'll have a naturalist uh, webinar. Let's do Thankfully, you can only see the top paths for most of us. Anyway, let's not go there. And that was just a joke, if anyone does. 
But, um, then, but then there's times where, like, uh, my daughter w- was going to run across the road, and and there's times where where I go no, and just grab her by the back of the shirt and mm-hmm. to stop her getting squashed. And mm-hmm. um, there's so there's a greater awareness of the dangers, but there's a you can act instantly in the moment when you see what she's doing, rather than getting lost in the past or the future. You're totally present with what is. So are you saying there is that the this this idea of surrender and control um they're a bit like what you started talking about earlier like you're either on the spiritual path or you have to go up for ambition so are you saying that even these opposites can there's a there's a role for both of them there's a time for both of them actually they can they can coexist yeah they must yeah they must. interesting for, for me you know I always thought surrender was an outside in thing that um, I've surrendered my spiritual teacher. I surrendered my wife. I would be told what to do, but really, the more present I become, is I, I realize that there's an inside-out thing too. That I, I know what the moment requires, and and it's sometimes it's just a feeling or a knowing, or it's a reaction that's faster than thought. Like in the case of my daughter running across the road, if I thought, if I had the concept, surrender means I do nothing unless I'm told to do it, or unless I'm explicitly, um, I don't know, informed by the voice of God somehow, <laughs> you know, I'll be waiting. I'll be constantly um, not, not living life. You know, there is a, when we align with presence, there's, a, there's an intuition, there's a creativity that flows through us as well. And uh, I think it, that's a, a beautiful balance to get to where, Absolutely, you take advice from experts and your peers and and your your loved ones, but you also you also know what's right, what's true for you, um, for what's true for the moment. I mean, so many people have a list of rules and they bring it to the moment, but the moment has its own rules, its own needs. So uh, yeah, it's like those jazz musicians you know they 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 become excellent at the rules of music and then they chuck it away when they meet the people and the the mood and the moment and the audience and it all combines to create something different mm-hmm. that's that's true art true creativity and i think a, a, a life any life can be a work of art in terms of that um balance between these are the rules and and this is what this moment needs it's one of the most common questions I'm asked, you know, when, that by anyone who is uh, trying to play with this thing called surrender. Like, how would I find the balance between surrendering and actually getting on and doing stuff, you know, make, making stuff happen, you know, moving towards stuff that I think I want, you know? And I love how you're kind of really, I love how you are sharing right now that these apparent opposites can, can coexist. But from what I'm hearing is that it's the space in which both come from especially the control side of things. It's the space in which they come from that's the important thing. So by that, if you're controlling through overthinking and forcing your will and fighting against the moment, that might not be as useful as being still, resting into being, being in presence. And from there, it's just obvious the moment when you have to step in and, and do something, control, apparently control something. Does that, is that making any sense? Is that what you're kind of saying here? Yeah, exactly. Beautifully said. Yeah, yeah. I I think for me the the 
the way to learn or to practice it was recognized because all of us are controllers. We, we over control. I would say we over control mostly everything or, or various spheres of our life. And, and you start to recognize when something becomes sticky or when you're, you're trying to get your way and yet it's not happening. It's, it's, like, it's just like trying to push a locked door open. And it doesn't matter how much you rattle that doorknob or, or how you sneak up onto it, it's still locked. It's not going to move. Or get start, angry at the door. <laughs> yeah, you start kicking it and it just doesn't happen. In fact, with people, they, they start to push back at you. So for me, that was a really good sign of um, like physical tension, emotional tension, um, strain, struggle, uh, the opposite of ease and peace and um, these things, stillness, these things we've been talking about. So that's, that's another way in is to recognize when more and more when you start to force uh, and to, to stop, just go, oh, whoops, I'm, I'm controlling things here a little bit. But, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Often it's the outcome. <laughs> you know? um, it's like we, we're so fixated. We think we know what's best for ourselves and the people around us. And so we, we're trying to micromanage it. And, um, you know, this is the, I, I think it's Taoist as well, but the, the sort of the old metaphor of we're only in charge of liming the arrow up, pulling the bow back, and then, then telling me the expression is, you know, to let go, let go of the action. You're not, you're not responsible for the end result. But like now, because I can line up this interview, I can get everything, everyone here on time and stuff. But then if the internet wants to keep coming and going, like it is my end and your voice is mixing from your, your words are mixed, not matching your voice. Your, you know what I'm trying to say. Exactly. I can't even say that. It's like that. But this is kind of an immediate example of what we're talking about. Like we can get everything lined up and then what's going to happen is going to happen. And I can get tense. I can sit here tight trying to control the internet. Or, or I can just keep going and see what happens. Yeah, you know, it it gets more subtle because we think because sometimes we have a bit of success in controlling other people, you know, and and especially if they, you know, they don't want to offend you or they're just like, well, well, we'll just do what he or she says. But there comes a time, there comes a place where everybody pushes back and goes, no, enough's enough. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of being. I'm just micromanaged by you. <laughs> Let me make my own mistakes. Let me do it my way. And I think that might be happening on a global level at this point, but we'll come, that's a different different topic. Um, all right. So we've talked about quite a, cool, a few number of cool things. Um, there's something I did want to talk about earlier, which we didn't because it went in a different direction. Um, you write about how we think peace is caused, not chosen. Kind of quite a cryptic deep sentence what is it what do you mean by we think peace is caused not chosen yeah well we kind of have this equation and i i don't know if it's to do with our consumer society or not but it's almost like peace or happiness is is bought uh when i buy that new car that will create a sense of peace happiness joy satisfaction it will complete me in some way Mm -hmm. when i meet that particular person she he will oh man that's you know that that whole thing of my my other half my soulmate that somehow completes us mm. this this idea of when we well, when we get anything small or large somehow it 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 gives us or creates happiness and peace mm-hmm. that 
that that peace happiness is caused by external events people possessions um, conditions and and certainly a new car a new career a holiday um, a, a fantastic meal all of these things are able to give us the grounds to enjoy and appreciate and be grateful for them which boosts us which which gets us out of the past out of the future and, and fully zones us into what's the experience of now the experience of what we we're doing um but they're not the only thing we can we can be sitting down with the most perfect person with the most beautiful meal and not even be there we can be so lost in the past or the future that we can't actually taste the food or hear what the other person is saying and so this this whole idea of i will be happy when my life looks a certain way or when i have this or that or when my mind finally shuts up or my emotion you know all these things um so i'm saying you need to choose we're saying we need to choose to be happy choose to be at peace choose to be content no matter what we're aiming for no matter what we think this moment should look like no matter what because that is the only thing we ultimately we can do no one can give us peace no one's going to give us peace but we so we certainly have to choose for it to um be be it it's funny that analogy you share about the food you know i've seen it myself and others that if you do get caught up in your mind about like a dinner or whatever you you're right you're really not showing up for the moment anymore and and the question i noticed at one point is what am i consuming right now and i was i realized i was consuming my critical thoughts my judgmental thoughts my mourning i was that was what i was consuming <laughs> as opposed to the meal you know yeah and it, and i think that that analogy can spread out most of the day what am i consuming on a moment to moment basis you know and it, it might not even be healthy or or helpful hmm. um often we're just consuming the mind just gobbling up everything it's saying <laughs> and we're learning to to uh, surrender it but Anyway, I digress a little bit, but what I wanted to ask you about is this this whole idea of choice. For me, like sometimes, you know, earlier on in my journey, I I got quite self-violent because I kept being told I had a choice. And it didn't appear it didn't appear to have one yet. Does that make any sense? I I was being told by these self-help quotes that, you know, choose peace, and I was like I got really self-violent at some point because I I couldn't. I hadn't cultivated the skill yet in a way to be able to do that hmm. so how do you balance that when you're helping others when you say you know choose for peace do you never get any pushback from that when people say i but i can't or i don't know how to or it's not as easy as just choosing oh what, what do you say to that yeah and i, I say of course yeah <laughs> because it's a nice it's a nice postcard it's a nice inter- instagram uh post you know it's easy to say but it's not it's not the reality um peace and happiness love they're all fruits of something that's much easier to choose for and and that's acceptance uh, or or contentment uh or presence you know we we can no matter who you are and this gets easier with practice but you can choose to accept you can choose to let now be enough you can choose to show up to this moment alive curious interested now you may get whisked away in the mind straight away but it, it, certainly especially with a reminder so you can come back you can return you can choose to be present accepting of what the present moment contains you can let as i said before like a a good 
colleague Narayan says a lot. Well, I don't know if he says a lot anymore. I haven't seen him for a while. Let now be enough. Just just choose to let now be enough. And in that, it's like, oh, it's amazing. That sense of acceptance and enough peace, happiness blossoms from that. You, you fall in love with what is rather than this idea of this needs to be different. So that's that's what I usually do in terms of choosing um, because it's hard to choose for an emotion because emotions always change. You know, if, if peace for you is an emotion of um, feeling like your backbone, honey's running around your backbone, then it's like it's difficult to summon that on command. So it's difficult to choose to feel gratitude. You can certainly choose to focus on the glass being half full and, and what you see as good and beautiful and right and true, or you can focus on the negative as well, and that, that certainly helps. Um, but it, it's, it's really creating a fertile ground so that the fruits of presence and acceptance and contentment um, can grow. So it's an interesting thing though because like i said in the beginning uh, so many people believe contentment is complacency but contentment really is showing up fully when you're content you don't want now to be different you are perfectly okay with the way things are and um again a quote byron katie and i've forgotten it but it's, it's, it's in terms of letting life live you because it does anyway <laughs> mm. and um just that sense of yeah, you can have a goal and aspiration, but now it is what it is. And um, you can shape it, you can dance with it, but it's better to, yeah, it's better to go with it. One of the common responses I've heard um, is that, you know, when you're saying like, you know, to be completely okay and, and with the moment, mm. and the first reaction is, but what if I'm not? You know, what if my moment isn't actually what I want? Yeah. Actually, you know? <clears throat> my experience with that is like, well, what's telling you it's not what you want? What What is talking in there that is saying this is wrong, bad, shouldn't be happening, all that sort of stuff? So there, there's an element here where we do need to be kind of starting to see the antics of the mind. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so... But what if it really isn't okay? And the mind's saying that, but also like it's not okay. How how do you not get uh, uh, abused or attacked or stay mm -hmm. in the wrong place um, by being completely okay with how things are? Where do we find a balance between in that realm? If something genuinely isn't cool for you or not your purpose anymore or somewhere where you shouldn't be? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And. You know, I heard that so many times from spiritual people on a spiritual path is that whole sense of surrender being, well, I, 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 I shouldn't do anything. I should be able to accept this fully. <laughs> and I was talking to people, no, make a change, make a choice, make action, move. But the trouble comes when we're so focused on, on the top of the mountain that I will be happy when. You know, it's the kind of sense of presence in the middle of something in the middle of transition, in the middle of change, is finding certainty and security and, and stability internally, regardless of what's going on externally. And, and absolutely, finding, being informed, seeing what the best way forward is, but all change takes time. Mm -hmm. 
And so it, 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 it exactly is not about accepting the unacceptable. If you can change it or leave it, do it. If you can do that right now, uh, great, go for it. If you have to wait, then you have to be patient. You know, and, and, and again, I think the more intuitive the are, we are, the more informed by our presence, the more we look down that dark alleyway, which may be a shortcut, and we go, oh, not tonight. It doesn't feel good. And so you, you go the long way. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's that guy across the street. Mm, it doesn't feel right. And so, you, you know, you, you, you head for the light or whatever it is. I think when we're lost in our head and, well, I, I shouldn't be scared or I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't act or I shouldn't speak or I shouldn't scream, then we just, it, it holds us back from really, again, meeting the need of the moment, which is sometimes action. It's an action world. We're great at that. but. Uh, I think we're so hobbled by self-doubt and um, self-evaluation. What will other people think of me? Um, all of the stuff that it it, uh, it prevents us from authentic action, authentic speech. It, you know, we're so scared to really follow through on on some of these things that we don't. And and so, you know, so yeah, it's it's not about not acting <laughs> or not speaking, as the case may be. Well, that's it. You know, like the same voice that's saying this is bad, we can end up listening to when we know we should make a change, but it's talking us out of the change as well. So it's scary. I can't do that. And people can end up creating their own prison for themselves, but they're not happy where they are. And they're also scared to make any change to get out of it as well. They're kind of convinced by this voice in their head that they can't leave either or change something either, you know? And for me, what I've seen, this is why I've written a number of books on thinking less uh, I really think that that's kind of at the root of that issue. You know, if we learn to have a healthy relationship with our mind, you know, we can tune into stuff that's useful, but ignore the rest. So we can actually have a rest most of our day uh, from all this incessant thinking, you know, called it was just a chit chat earlier. You said it's just constant chatter or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought it was a lovely way of putting it. Um, so again, uh, we're getting back to this, the being. Now, do you remember, do you remember the, the title of your book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to share the title of your book? Because it's relevant <laughs> to my next question. Well, it, it's how being is the greatest foundation for everything that we do. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> oh, that's a subtitle of your, of your book. Yeah. Um, and that's really what we're kind of talking about right now. So we're talking about presence. What other words have we used for it today? Being. Being. Stillness. Uh-huh stillness awareness awareness yeah calm all these all these things so they're ultimately that we're kind of pointing towards the same thing with all these different words but you use the word in the subtitle being is the foundation of the greatest doing or what was that uh the greatest foundation for everything that you do Mm. simply because i i wanted to contrast it between doing you know we're great doers and i i wanted to convince the great doers that if they stopped, if they sunk beneath their to-do lists or, you know, being in the red in terms of their rev counters, if they just slowed down, stepped back, took a breath, took a moment, um, they they would find there was a deeper sense of knowing um, that would inform, that would clarify, that would that would intuit what what is the best possible course of action, that they would find greater satisfaction now rather than only when they get up there um 
so yeah, I, I mean, you're dead right. It all comes back to our mind and our, our mind is so busy because we're great doers. Okay, I need to do this. I need to plan that. And remember, don't forget what, what happened yesterday because that was a mess and that was embarrassing and, and you're always doing that. And so <laughs> you know, it's, it's really realizing that now requires very little thought. You know, if, if, if you guys are listening, that requires very little thought. I mean, the mind will go, well, comparing and contrasting with your past experience with your ideas and what should be and all the rest of it but really just to truly listen with your whole being it takes very it requires no thought which is a fascinating thing i mean it's a wonderful tool but a, a very bad master as we like to say and, and so i just wanted to point to something a contrast a, a, a place of uh a foundation, a, a platform, a, an anchor to to all the change, uncertainty, drama, doubt, fear that's that's around, and that's something that's within us, not when the external circumstances circumstances change. Um, yeah. I love that quote. I saw a couple of the guys on screen up there jumping for their pen when you said that. The, the, the now requires very little thought. Hmm. It's it's a it's beautiful. It's very simple, and it's so true. In fact, yeah. I find the more now I am, the less thought and thinking there just naturally is. Like it, I can't serve two masters. And um, as I'm giving my undivided attention to here, it, it's a, just a different ball game, a different rule book. It's it's a life lived from intuition and clarity and spontaneous knowing and excitement and awe and wonder and all these wonderful things that you just will never find in the future ever, ever. These experiences that we we know is, we want—it's uh, never found anywhere other than here. Yeah, yeah. And people go, "Well, how will, how would I plan? How will I actually get anywhere?" And it, it's very simple. You know, if I need to head to my kitchen to get a cup of coffee, I oh, cup of coffee would be nice. That's all I need, just to get up and go. I don't need to think any further beyond get to the kitchen. <laughs> it's it's. But what about the coffee I made yesterday and I spilled some on the counter and what, do I want to make a, a mess with all that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I've got to clean. Yeah. Or juicing is even worse. Do I want to have a, <laughs> I want a juice, but do I want to clean the juicer? And we go beyond the, that. And before we know, we've talked ourselves out of that delicious uh, juice. But uh, anyway, um, but I do have a question for Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that the most magical moments were, were when we were so immersed in what was in front of us. We weren't lost in our heads. We were in, in our bodies, like really tasting the moment. And we, we long for those moments, yet we just don't know how to get them back. And uh, don't let them be a mistake. You know, go beyond thought and step into presence and be immerse yourself in each and every moment. And then that is the foundation of a fertile ground for magic to grow. It's funny, you know, because the, the current society, and I think it's changing, but the current society is, been praising thinkers for many years, you know, great thinker. And um, look where it's got us. <laughs> um, yeah. Politics, economics, debt, you know, people hungry when there's enough resources, so many things. Um, and I'm quite passionate about this. I think thinking has been way overpraised, way over rewarded, way, way overemphasized. Uh, for and it's and it's kind of the day for the non-thinkers and the this this clarity, you know. There should be awards for this person has got the greatest clarity. 
you know, uh, intuition awards go to this person you not to walk up that street uh, or whatever. You know, the, we should start praising and celebrating different things in society, I think, because uh, this whole idea of praising the best thinkers in the room, it's, it just tends to create more of what we've had before because thinking can't think outside itself and it can it tries its hardest but it can only really think within the realms and limits of what it's already learned and you know the best inventors weren't the best thinkers the best inventors are commonly known to share that their best ideas happened when they weren't thinking and they'd finally let go and they'd gone for a walk or they'd gone to have a shower or or whatever you know what i'm saying so um, it, the, the, the greatest stuff seems to come from this being that you're talking about, this presence that you're talking about. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and artists, musicians, dancers, sports people, um, the military, they, they all know this place beyond thinking. It's like, oh, this, this effortless action, this uh, inspired, non-thinking doing. <laughs> And most people have, you know, a lot of people have to like do a lot of doing to try and find this being, you know, like they'll exercise so much until they're so knackered that they, they just find peace finally, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? That can yeah. be this need. And thankfully we have tools and techniques for helping us to actually find it here, find it now. Um, it's so ridiculously simple, but the mind will always over overcomplicate it and often say it's not possible for us. And we need to go beyond uh, that kind of conversation but i have a question for about 10 minutes ago i've tried to ask three times it's about the title chasing more finding mm -hmm. enough can you i don't get it to be honest what do you mean <laughs> by chasing more what are you saying with the title i know the tagline but what are you actually meaning by the title yeah I, it was interesting when i when i kind of announced it <laughs> people saying shouldn't it be chasing less and finding enough <laughs> mm -hmm. and there's a quote by socrates in terms of and I've forgotten it, that's the thing tonight, but it, 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 he talks about the ability, the beautiful ability to be content with less, you know, and, and, and you know, how wonderful is that? But, but we all feel better when it feels like we're moving forward, when we can measure progress, when we are growing or learning or, or mastering or, or seeing some kind of movement forward. I think more... The chase for more is a very important part of who we are. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, a quote in the book by uh, a guy called Sigsenti Mahal, <laughs> a psychologist, <laughs> but he talks about challenges, meaningful challenges, the greatest moments of people's lives because they, they become sort of um, pointers or, or, or stakes in the ground of people's lives where I, I did that. I didn't think I could. I was scared of what other people would think, but I did it. And it's that sort of rising to the occasion or rising to climbing a mountain that's, that, that creates a better world. Um, so I, I was not saying, no, chase less, be lazy, um, give up your ambition. But I just wanted to temper it with this, this be content, be present, have enough as the way things are. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, I didn't want to say chase less because... I feel so alive when I'm I'm doing the things that really bring me joy, but do do them from a place of want. I want to do this rather than I need to. 
because I need to get this in order for, for, to feel better about myself. Or I need this to prove myself to myself, my, my dead parents, my society, my wife, my partner, my, do you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so, where people are so driven with this hollowness and this belief that I am not enough. And so people chase, I, I, I haven't done enough, therefore I am not enough. <laughs> I've done wrong, therefore I am wrong. Mm. And, and these balances between, yes, have ambition and drive and goals and aspiration, but be whole and complete and, and just over the moon, ecstatic with the way things are. Find enough in each and every step and then, and then you can truly, truly fly. It was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, just, I just didn't want, you know, so many spiritual people saying, well, maybe I should go live in a cardboard box. That would be the most spiritual thing. I should sell all my possessions and um, give up. <laughs> and it's just giving up on life rather than, for me, there's a concept I don't directly name, but Dharma. Um, and I was talking to Garuda a couple of weekends ago about how to pronounce it, and I messed it up. <laughs> But Dharma is the sense of rightness, of, of living your purpose for why you were born. Mm -hmm. But it also has a combination of service. So it's, it's you live your life in service for others I and mean, for yourself because you know when you're on your right path, but it's done for, for everybody else as well. And so uh, this whole thing, chasing more, finding enough is, is a service to, to everyone. Mm. I often um, try to live myself and, and I share with others this, uh, the three S's of being superhuman, stillness, surrender, and service. Huh. And they all seem to feed into each other. And so it's one of the things that you're reminding me of. And something else that you said there was, you know, not get, you know, moving from need back to want. We've kind of been conditioned for need and it's, and it's getting back to like desire, you know, wanting. And we've actually, the guys in the club this month are, are playing with this uh, statement. Anytime they notice themselves caught up in an attachment, they're to say, I can want this without needing it. <laughs> and that, and I, and it, that phrase, I love that phrase because it honors the want, it honors the desire, or it honors the, the chase in a way, like you say, you know, chasing more. It honors the, that, the want. It's beautiful. It's, it drives us. It drives our evolution, growth, consciousness, uh, movement. It's beautiful. But I, I can want it without needing it, which is a true statement. Yeah. And going back to, you know, do we really need to wear shoes or whatever? Um, you know, we don't need as much as we think we do. There, there are subtle rules and contracts we've made with ourselves. Maybe it's sometimes they're societal, but the ones that cause us most suffering are usually these little contracts we make with ourselves of the things we think we need. Uh, this is how it is. When actually we can surrender that, we open up to more magic, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm. I, mean, I, I think we're so in the world of doing, where it's only doing, is that, we, like I said, we, I need this because therefore it means something about me. When I get this, this proves, that word I used before, that I'm good enough, <laughs> that I'm worthy enough just to exist, mm -hmm. that I'm not wasting space that i'm not wasting oxygen that i'm contributing that i'm good enough to be alive um and 
so many people are driven by that sense that I'm I'm not good enough, and it's it's horrible. It, you know, it it goes in two directions: either overworking and overachieving, or just absolutely quitting. Just just scared silly because I just don't want to mess up and make another mistake. And uh, when you find that balance in enough, in presence and stillness, knowing that you are enough because you are alive, because you exist, because you you're present then everything else becomes cherries on the top of the cake excitement you know you don't you don't need you're just wanting to do it and and you really become alive because you get rid of all those shoulds and needing to prove your very existence and you're just living for the sheer joy of it and it's a, it's a much 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 freeing place to be from come from well thank you that's beautiful um, I'm going to, in a moment, open up to the guys that are listening live and we're going to see if there's any questions in the room. But for now, um, I'm going to close the interview uh, part of our conversation, the chit chat. Uh, I've loved it uh, massively. Um, and uh, there was a quote uh, that you had in the book, uh, Chasing More, Finding Enough, hmm. um, by Joseph Heller. Oh, yeah. Do you want to finish with that? Yeah. Well, it was, let me find it. It's near the front. <laughs> it is. It's right near the front. <laughs> but it was interesting because I, Joseph Heller was in a, uh, at a party with a billionaire at this billionaire's party. And, and his friend was teasing him because he told him, this billionaire, you know what? He makes more money in one day than you had make from your, your most popular novel in its entire history. <laughs> and he's going, what? <laughs> And, and Joseph Heller says, yes, but I have something he will never have, and that is enough, which I, I thought was beautiful because so many people, like we said, are chasing more without having enough. And yeah. I know I was going to end it, but you remind me of one other quote I wanted mm -hmm. to talk about from the book. So this is bonus time, okay? In the beginning of the book, so it's nice to kind of share this at the end of our conversation today. But in the very beginning of the book, on the first page, before you get into anything, there's the quote. Nothing is great unless it is also at peace. Nothing is great unless it's also at peace. Um, why did you use that quote? What does that mean to you? Why is that such an important quote for you to put right at the beginning of Chasing More, Finding Enough? Yeah, I, I think it ties in between um, hollow ambition hollow ambition, hollow achievement, um, where we're chasing more without being at peace. And it's just empty. It's the donut life. It's the having no center. And Seneca, who said that way, way back, thousands of years ago, realized that greatness is in your achievements and in your doings and in your, your top of the mountain challenges, whatever they may be for you. But it's hollow without peace. It's nothing is great without peace. And uh, I was going to put in a, a second line from a, um, a writer. Um, what's his name? We're just Henry. doing great with all the quotes tonight, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Henry Miller, who's a an old American writer, but he, he said, you know, peace comes not from having, but from being. And I, I just, for some reason, blanked on it and didn't put it there but um yeah coming you, you can have everything in the world but if you don't have peace you have you have nothing
Beautiful. Well, thanks very much. And oh, uh, it's you. a pleasure talking to you. And until next time, uh, I hope that you enjoy tasting more and finding enough. Yeah. Thank you.